welcome to episode 119 of the British Bird Gang Breakdown, the first one of the new season where we get to break down some meaningful football and what a game to begin on. Once again, I'm Tom and I'm joined by Callum to break down the week one game and whatever else we can fit in this episode of an unspecified length. What a brilliant week to come back as a Cardinals fan. I mean, can't really think of too many negatives from that game, but obviously when we get to cover the game, we've got a few maybe to break down, but we've got yeah, pages and pages of positives, which is a good thing. Exactly. We can we can tease out some stuff to, to speak about, but um, in general, yeah, it's uh, it's all positives. And um, yeah, I think uh, overall, really, really positive start to the season. It's um, and, and the nice thing is as well is that like the the press in general let's just say the non-partisan press and stuff is is picking up on it and you know there's a lot of people out there sort of saying like oh yeah the cardinals are actually legit this year i mean it was only one game so we'll have to see how they do in week two onwards but you know we'll take it for what it is at the moment it was a good game yeah absolutely and and you know if you think about the the complete obverse of that where if we if we you know lost a bad game we would be sitting here all doom and gloom for the rest of the season and um, all of that stuff so or, or even if it was just like a rubbish game that we just squeaked by we might be sitting here going like oh well you know the season looks bad looks in jeopardy and all that but you know starting off as you mean to go on that's uh it's a good place to be we do have a couple of news items before we get to break down the game from this past weekend though Dennis Gardeck was placed on injured reserve, so unfortunately we are going to have to wait for the 2021 return of the Barbarian, as he's heading back to injured reserve for what was claimed by Cliff Kingsbury to be several weeks. And I mean, he's recovered from the ACL tear, but then he got injured in the middle of last week in practice, doing something to his wrist slash hand, which is going to rule him out for a while. It's obviously a shame for him, and it's a shame for our defence. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Although I also think that, um, you know, in general, this this could end up being a blessing, and it's something that we'll never have a you know good handle on whether or not it was a good thing. But um, given Gardeck's you know uh, early timetable return from the ACL surgery, um, and that there was a lot of people who were wondering, oh, is it a bit rushed and whatever? And I'm sure he's fine, but also. This is an extra couple of weeks for him to rest that up as well. And hopefully it means that when he does come back, um, he will be stronger. He will be able to play more snaps maybe than he would have been in, in these early games. Um, so, you know, ho- hopefully what it leads to is kind of a a stronger Dennis Gardeck to come back in, I, well, well, it's several weeks. So who knows? It could be anything from what, three to three to eight. Who knows? The Cardinals lost a player to the COVID-19 list ahead of the week one game as wide receiver Antoine Wesley was placed on it a few days ago following a positive diagnosis. It's a real shame as well because he, you know, he was one of the the outside chances that we discussed last week to make the 53-man roster and, and, you know, he did did in fact make it and all of this stuff. But thankfully, uh, I don't think he was missed too much on the field. Yeah, because I mean, obviously the wide receiver room was fine without him as they took on the Tennessee Titans, which is what we're going to move on to now. Fortunately, that's all the news and everything, and um, honestly couldn't wait any longer to talk about this game. Yes, so week one kicked off with the Arizona Cardinals winning 38-13 against the Tennessee Titans. And I mean, I'd say we'd caught this win, but neither of us thought it would be this one-sided and utterly dominant from the Cardinals from start to finish. 
It was an iffy start, but that soon dissipated as the Cardinals pulled ahead with superior performances from both offence and defence. However, I suppose we didn't get it all out of the way from the game, did we? No, we didn't. Um, might as well get those negatives out of the way first. And as we mentioned, there aren't many of them. These things are, are, are things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. And I think, you know, especially given the amount that we won by, it's going to seem petty, but it's worth discussing. And, you know, first one that we've got written down here is the uh, flags and the overall, not really standard of play. That's the wrong way to phrase it. I guess like the the um, cleanliness of play. Yeah, I could say we started off a bit sloppily, didn't we? Yeah. I, I, I've not um, looked at the actual timestamps and things, but it definitely felt like there was a lot of flags in the kind of first and second quarter, and that kind of tailed off later in the game. Yeah, I mean, it was a frustrating start to the season when they picked up where they left off last year when it came to flags. Because I think they got like four in the first quarter and like three on the very first drive of the game. You know, some of them were questionable, others avoidable, but they were thrown and they will count against the team like when it comes to totting them up at the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, as you said, you know, some of them were questionable, but um, we're going to face a, a wide variety of refereeing standards across the season. Um, and you need to be able to adapt in those situations and say, like, well, we know we're uh, playing with a referee who's going to be tough on this, so we need to keep it tight. And as you said, it, it did feel a little bit like it was picking it up from last year and we were going to be the most penalised team in football again. But, um, I mean, every every uh, negative comes with a little positive, but, and the positive here is that it did clean up. You know, it could be that this is going to be put down in the grander scheme to early first game, you know, uh, jitters or nerves or things misfiring a little bit. Yeah, so obviously it's pr- pretty much a moot point when it comes to discussing this game, but you know it's one that needed to be made and one that people would obviously want us to pick up on. <laughs> and I think as well, when you're looking for any negatives, you need to uh, to start uh, you know scraping for them. I guess um, the other negative that we've got written down here is, um, I guess, it's another one that does seem trivial in, in the given the result, but there was a missed field goal. Yeah, obviously, as you say, with the final result, it didn't really change the outcome of the game, and nor did it change anything for those smart folk that took Arizona plus three in the spread betting. Ooh. These missed field goals would be a thing of the past with bringing in Matt Prater, but, you know, clearly that wasn't the case in this game, or at least in this, like, in that one where he missed, because he did make one earlier in the game. Yeah, I mean, the thing, like, you're never going to get a kicker who is, you know, 100% money, but you would hope that in, I guess, what you would call, like, a low-pressure situation like that, that you would be banging that one through. I haven't had a chance to look at loads of replays of that. Did you know, did you see if anyone got a hand on it? I don't think they did, no. I just think it looked like he, it came off his foot wrong, maybe, because he a bit dodgy-looking. Yeah, the flight of the ball was really weird, wasn't it? It was kind of tumbling um, like in, in both axes at once, so it looked really strange um, as far as an NFL kick goes. So that was why I thought somebody might have got a hand to it or it might have hit something, but um, it could be um, you know, down to that. And, and let's not forget as well that a part of the kicking is the, is the holder as well. You know, that's if it's held wrong, uh, you know, like laces out and all of that. Um, then it can really mess up the kick too. And I mean, the main thing really is, as long as he doesn't do that on a game-winning kick, I I suppose we can sort of let him off for this one. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I mean, 
it was hardly gonna matter in a in a game with like a 25 point deficit but um you know these are the the little differences that add up through the season and um if it was you you need to be able to be relying on on um kicks like that in in uh, clutch situations and you know this is just going to be another thing that will be thought of if uh they do need to you know bash through a kick in the fourth quarter or something like that and maybe people will be considering instead bringing on a run or something before we get too depressed should we move on to the positive section because we've got a fair few to get our teeth into in this one yeah absolutely and <laughs> i've not even read through all the positives uh in the uh, the document this week because there's just so many of them i honestly don't know where you even start writing a list out like this to be honest i mean i started with the offense you know with the quarterback putting up his week one claim for MVP with five total touchdowns. We had the effective run game. DeAndre Hopkins had a pair of touchdown grabs. Christian Kirk had a double of his own. Rondale Moore impressed as well. You know, just the offense as a whole was just really impressive in this game. I'd really, if you're listing out offense and and bits of it that were working, I would have to say the offensive line as well, because quite a few of the... um, Kyler Murray, you know, miracle throws that were happening there uh, could only have happened because the pocket was sustained for so long. Rodney Hudson made a huge difference in the middle. Yeah, I, I have to agree there. I mean, I think um, it, it's just the sort of thing, I mean, between calling schemes and things like that. But Yeah, because like last year we saw quite a lot of times the center was like pushed back well into Kyler's like vision, wasn't he? And that's why he couldn't really hit the throws, but when you see like Rodney Hudson, he was just holding his own. So like Kyler had that pocket to step up into if he needed to. Exactly. He had that he kept that nice like V formation, you know, that that's there and it just allows that quarterback a bit more freedom of movement. Um and especially, you know, when you're when depending on how you snap the ball, it can give you that extra, you know, half a step on somebody. Uh, and that can mean the difference between getting a throw off or not. And, you know, we in fact we saw a couple of the uh key throws in the game come off of you know being half a half a step away from being sacked right so i think obviously it makes sense to start this with breaking down kyler murray's performance yeah i think um statistically one of his better performances in his career but also um just from an optics perspective from a kind of the the look of the whole thing um it was really a performance where he looked like a a pro it was another set of records broken for the MVP in waiting. He became the sixth quarterback to ever have four passing and one rushing touchdown in the first week of the season. He's only the sixth player in NFL history with 50-plus passing touchdowns and 15-plus rushing touchdowns in his first three seasons. Funnily enough, all six of them have come in the last 10 years through Cam Newton, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. And he's also, he's the first Cardinals player to throw for four touchdowns in a single game since Carson Palmer did it back in 2015 against the Cincinnati Bengals. There you go. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, bringing in sort of Cardinals records and stuff like that, or let's say, you know, Cardinals records of the last five, six years, these are the kind of numbers that we, the, these are the kind of numbers that, that prove the maturity of this offense as a whole, right? You know, um, specifically throwing four touchdowns in a game is something that 
you know, not only do you be do you need to be playing um, better than your opponent, but you need to be constantly throwing new tricks at them, right? Because if you are able to score, you know, one or two touchdowns, that's you know, that's that's a standard game for most people. Getting you know three, that's a that's a, a bunch more than that. But then you start to get to the fourth one, and you think, surely the defense have worked out the tricks by now. Surely they've worked out some of the counts. Surely they've worked out. Um, some of the play calls, the personnel, what to expect, and all of this stuff. But um, you know, to me, the Cardinals were able to keep them guessing, and and Kyler Murray was a huge part of that. His um, his running ability, um, and and his ability to scramble and create something out of nothing just seems to be increasing year on year, which I think is really impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say he was incredible in this game. You can't really think of a better word to describe it. I don't think. I definitely remember during the game having this um, this emotion, this kind of thought where I was like, isn't it great to be a Cardinals fan when you get the chance to sit and watch this guy every week? Enough of the stats, though. You know, it was fair to say he was incredible in this game, besides the blip of the interception. And I still think Demetrius Harris deserves some blame for that because he was way too weak and beat far too easily by the defensive back. You know, it was a Kyler Murray masterclass from the weekend. Yeah, I mean, on that interception, I think that you can easily argue that it was, it wasn't the smartest throw to put out there. But that being said, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a total lost cause. And and I agree that you know, if it, if it had been D Hop there, it would have been a reception, right? Yeah, I mean, literally anyone else might have actually fought for the ball, but Harris was just beaten and like he had no no chance. He didn't even try to break it up, either. No, he didn't, which is a bit of a shame. But, you know, it's, uh, again, these these little tiny blips. In, in general, yeah, Kyler Murray Masterclass. I mean, um, talk about throwing the ball from difficult situations. You know, that's all that baseball training, you know, throwing it across the body, um, throwing it off the wrong foot. At one point, even a uh, throw with both feet off the ground entirely. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously that highlight play for the Christian Kirk touchdown. But I think the one that seems to stand out for most people is the 43-yard run from side to side. <laughs> and then he, uh, he put in that backwards juke to fool the defensive lineman even more before finding Rondale Moore for a big game. Un- unbelievable, really. And I think that was on like third down or something as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a ridiculous play. And obviously I've seen like next-gen statistics, like breaking it all down, that sort of thing. You know, it's just crazy. Just, just so much fun to watch all round, really, isn't it? Just something like that, and and yeah, it's the, this is the kind of play extension that you don't really get with somebody else, right? Yeah, I mean, like obviously some guys can do it, but obviously no one could do it like Kyler Murray. Yeah, at least so. we can see that's what we think as homers, anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, no, all all round, really good to watch, and um, something that I'd noticed as well, which was a is a real positive in and of itself, was the um, ball security that Kyler had throughout that. Yeah, I think he only took three hits in the game, including two sacks late-ish on, but, you know, kept hold of the ball, kept him on zero fumbles, which obviously helps with our predictions that we made last week. Yep, and there were fewer of those uh, plays that loads of people hate from him, which are the plays where he kind of you know, runs around and then just kind of nips back out uh, at the sideline for a two-yard loss. I didn't see as many of those. Yeah, I think he had like a couple of them, but I think the run where they were on the one-yard line when they brought in Lecky through two and 
JJ Watt as lead blockers. That was crazy. That play. That was just so much fun. And you know that, like, yeah, this is this is a little bit more of the the Cliff Kingsbury. I think that we were expecting to see even in the first year. You know, it's a bit more of that kind of slightly crazy plays. You know, or or interesting packages, shall we say? Yeah, one of the, obviously brought in as an offensive guru or whatever you want to call him. You know. It was nice to see him call a decent game, though, and keep most of the haters off his back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did see a, a uh, interesting hot take, um, and I know you saw it too, but I'd be, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. What, I can't remember who it was. It's one of the Arizona sports radio personalities that said it, and they said that, um, that this is the first time the offense has been able to click fully because previously it's been somewhat hamstrung by having Larry Fitzgerald in the slot and now that they've able to get you know everyone that the team or everyone that Cliff Kingsbury let's say wants to be in there that they were able to really make the whole scheme work and they were able to shine yeah so that is Kyle Odegaard who put that out the former Cardinals reporter yes indeed he's off doing sportsbook betting or something like that now right sportsbook coverage anyway um yeah, what do, what do you think of that? Do you think that that was a, a big factor in the difference between you know the team that we saw this Sunday and the team that we maybe have seen some weeks in the past couple of years? I, I would agree with him, to be honest, because obviously, I think I did actually tweet out saying that I agreed with him because it's something I liked, I said as well, and people didn't really like, like facing the reality that Larry Fitzgerald last year or this year wouldn't be the Larry Fitzgerald of 2008 onwards, would it? Because obviously his legs aren't what they used to be. He's not going to be making those big plays. That's absolutely true. But he's also, you know, like, with, that's that's part of the reason that from, was it 2019, 2018, something like that, that's part of the reason he came into the slot and stopped playing, you know, completely wide out and stuff like that, just because we he knew he didn't have the physical speed. I mean, that being said... I mean, it's been one game, right? How much conclusion can you really draw? But it definitely felt like the whole unit was clicking a little bit better. And I wonder how much that was down to all of the plays being available and and, um, all that sort of stuff. I mean, that does move us on nicely to the next positive that I've got down here, and that's the performance of DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk. Although I do think it's fair to say that all the wide receivers had a pretty good outing in week one. You know, AJ Green had his moments and picked up some crucial yards. Rondale Moore looked explosive, but it was those two who really stole the show. Yeah, I mean, you're right in saying that the whole wide receiver room had a had a great game, and I mean, it's pro football focus, so you take from that what you will. But I did see that um, overall, the PFF grades for the Cardinals wide receiver room, like on average, were significantly higher than the average. Um, uh, grades for all other wide receiver rooms in the league that week, so that's that's good to see. But yeah, I would have to agree that um, D Hop and, and Christian Kirk are probably the two you know most outstanding of of the the group. But I mean, that is obviously easy to say when the both of them got two touchdowns each, and yeah, you know, it's hard to really say which touchdown was the best because literally all four of them. Had like really good moments in them that really stood out. Yeah, and both of them had um, had an incredible catches as well, right? Yeah, because obviously we had the first one with DeAndre Hopkins back of the end zone, able to get both feet down with the ball in his possession. 
And then his second touchdown, he just like he caught the ball with his back to the end zone, spun round, completely wrong footed the defensive back that was on him. And then he just had a basic walk into the end zone. It's unbelievable, right? It's just such athleticism. And then of course we had Christian Kirk, he had the like the Russell Wilson special, like the rainbow ball yep. all the way down the field. Yep. And also he had that impressive grab of his own where he had to go up for it and got both feet down. That's actually yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, like what a what a brilliant set of, of um, you know, uh through the air touchdowns. I think one of the main criticisms of Cliff Kingsby last year was him trying to use the wide receiver screen on with using obviously Larry Fitzgerald. And he's not anywhere near the athlete that Rondale Moore is now. Yeah, in terms of pure athleticism, absolutely. Yeah, like he's not gonna weave in and out of all the blocks, you know, get like twenty, thirty yards from a one yard, two yard pass, is he? It's that's not gonna happen. But I mean, yeah, it was um as you said, explosive, I think, is the correct word for a Rondell merger in that game. It's the, the the ability to go from essentially like calm and you think, okay, this is a little thing to, oh, wow, he's he's kind of making things happen. Yeah, obviously, I think we'll see a lot more of him as the season goes on, you know. Maybe even overtakes, like, we might see Christian Kirk overtake AJ Green and then Rondell Moore overtakes Green as well, so. yeah. Actually, I need to look up how the COVID protocol works as well, because obviously if um, Antoine Wesley is is out still next week, like if he has to do, you know, a 10-day COVID isolation or whatever, then, um, you know, that, that means continued more playtime for all of the other uh, wide receivers, right? But not Andy Isabella? Even though he was active for the game, he didn't play a single snap, not even on special teams? Yeah, I was quite surprised by that for sure. I was thinking we would at least see him on special teams because it feels odd to be, you know, paying a guy and getting him suited up and taking a space. But then again, you know, maybe the whole point of him being there was obviously as a, as a backup, and maybe they say, okay, like, well, we would rather have a backup with completely fresh legs than one who's even had a couple of sprints. You know, I think the next positive we should talk about is the running game and. As the yards per carry average might not look that impressive, but it was fair to say Chase Edmonds, James Connor, and Kyler Murray himself had a solid outing on the ground. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as you said, the the yards per carry might not look that impressive and they didn't have any um, you know, big marquee moments quite the same way that the wide receivers room did, but I would argue that, you know, every every good moment the wide receivers had during that game was set up by having a really solid and scary uh, run threat, you know? Yeah, I mean, Chase Edmonds chipped in with a few catches as well, like he normally does. And James Conner had a great debut, the highlight being a stiff arm or two that wouldn't have looked out of place on the Derek Henry montage that we all saw like a million times before the game. No, I would agree with that. I mean, he's uh, he, he James Conner is, um, is definitely you know, shaping up to be a big part of the offense and uh, excellent outing, excellent uh, debut, as you said. And let's not forget as well, uh, when we talk about running, that obviously Kyler Murray is uh, is is basically a running back himself. The amount of um, stuff he made happen from that is is brilliant. Yeah, like I mentioned before, the one yard, like the ball was on the goal line and any like bootleg runs out to the other side. 
he started celebrating like 15 yards out. Oh, it was so good because he just knew. He knew there was no way. Well, I mean, they obviously bought the run that it was obviously going to be Connor going behind Watt and Foto into. Yeah, exactly. Have you seen the JJ Watt wired video that he had from the game? I've not yet. I didn't know he was wired. That sounds amazing. Yeah, because he's in on that play. Yeah. And then after the play and everyone comes off the field, DJ Humphreys comes over to him. Uh-huh. And he says something along the lines of, I didn't know where he was. And DJ Humphreys says to him, I'm like that all the time with Kyler Murray. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I mean, it's obviously true, isn't it? Because like, the amount of times you can extend the play, you just don't know where he is. It's not like you can just like look back to see where he is, right? Yeah, I mean, he's got his own job to do, hasn't he? Keeping him upright. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, that's quite funny because it's obviously like, you know, if you're JJ Watt and you're a defensive specialist, and I think he did say that he played some, like, uh, O-line in high school or something like that as well. But, uh, you know, if you haven't done that for a very, very long time, it's fair to not know where the quarterback is. But if you're, you know, yeah, it, it, that's that's quite funny. I like that a lot. And of course, speaking about the offensive line, you know, you don't really get that much of a mention on here when they're doing well. And it's fair to say the group did a good job of keeping Kyler Murray upright. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was it, like, hit three times overall and only two or two were sacks? Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think we started last year really well protecting Kyler Murray. We did, yeah. I mean, I think... Um... The last year we were sort of always talking about the uh, offensive line as you know just this massively improved unit, um, and I think you know if we can, the fact that that's been able to continue through to this year is is really uh, heartening. Yeah, I mean Rodney Hudson was superb in his debut, and like DJ Humphreys, played all sixty nine offensive snaps in the game, which is exactly what you want to see. I think especially with uh, you know offensive line, you know purely even from a from a health point of view, you know, the fact that it wasn't even like a, and this is a blowout win as well, right? This is the kind of blowout win where you can afford to stick in backups and things like that, especially towards the end of the fourth quarter, but nope, they're in for the full game and, and that's them, you know, they're out doing their job. And um, I think they did an excellent job overall. Yeah. We did have to see one change on the offensive line in the game though, when Kelvin Beecham went down with an injury. Mm, yeah. That's un- definitely unfortunate, but uh, from what I've heard, it's not serious, right? Well, it's a rib injury, they said, so obviously he might have broken a rib or two. Could just be bruised. You know, just have to wait and see. But, I mean, it's like we've got players who can come in and play right tackle anyway because we've got Justin Murray or we could kick Josh Jones out there. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a lot of shuffling we can do. and We, we spoke about it at length last week, The uh, all the different guys who could be coming in for that. Um you know, in the offensive line, but um, thankfully it's all, uh, it, it, hopefully it shouldn't all be uh, necessary as we go through the season. I do think we've taken up too much time talking about the offense now, though, so should we move on to the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, talk about a star performance. Um, overall, the uh, EPA, which is the earned points average of the offense, we were the seventh best in the NFL. But when it comes to the defense, we were second best overall. Yeah, that was just behind the New Orleans Saints, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Although I think that should be taken with an asterisk because they were just playing against Aaron Rodgers, who just didn't seem to give a fuck. 
<laughs> that's true actually yeah i mean we we were the only ones playing against an opposing quarterback let's say um and my goodness did we play against an opposing quarterback um where do you start with that defensive performance I mean, like the thing I've got highlighted here, which I think needs to be said more than anything, is that the Cardinals' defense held Derek Henry to 58 yards on 17 carries, and they held him to two yards or fewer on 10 of those runs and stopped him for zero or negative yardage six times. Yeah, I believe that it was the most shut down that Derek Henry's ever been. Definitely for a long time, because, like, past two years he's been the nfl's rushing leading rusher hasn't he he has yeah and he's on my fantasy team as well i think he might have even cost me a win so there you go i mean i think you can take it if that's the case that the cardinals <laughs> yeah no i i'm not going to be upset about it in that that regard and you know i i think these are kind of key moments for this team and it's one of the things that's going to win us games and and well already has won us a game and that is, you know, neutralizing danger men, right? And that's that's what we did. We went in, we took their biggest weapon, we neutralized it, and we, that immediately forced their offense onto our back foot. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Vance Joseph did a lot of work on that game plan, and he deserves a lot of credit for it, I think. Yeah, I, I have to absolutely agree. You know, they, the defense knew exactly what they were coming in, to, uh, in for. They knew exactly, um, you know, what to expect, and... and um, you know, I think that they uh, honestly made the Titans' offense look kind of foolish in some regards, right? It's really hard to pinpoint the most impressive Cardinals defender from the <laughs> Oh, that's such a lie. That is such a lie. I know. Who am I kidding? It was Chandler Jones, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. I mean, tying the franchise record, I believe, of number of sacks in a game. I mean, we only saw that franchise record being broken like, a few months back yeah exactly yeah one of the most impressed and the thing is as well is like when we last saw that franchise record broken it was against a um broken beaten second and third string jets team late in the season this is against a completely fresh first string best overall titans team and they're they're no joke you know yeah and i mean obviously it was he earned himself a pretty unanimous and resounding British Bear Gang breakdown player of the game trophy for week one. Yeah, with, um, yeah, was it like 80% of the vote or so? And even that is only because you, uh, I believe, went on Twitter and appealed to say that Isaiah Simmons deserved at least some votes. Yeah, I mean, I did that and then it ended up putting Christian Kirk down into last place with like 1% of the vote. So sorry, <laughs> Christian. <laughs> Still, it was that's an award that was always going to go to Chandler Jones after that um, performance. And, you know, I think when you put in a performance that gets you tweets from, you know, not only other, you know, NFL greats like Calais Campbell, I saw out tweeting, but, you know, it's like even uh, like LeBron James getting in on the action and, and tweeting that it was just a hell of a game. These are that's that's how you know you've been a standout. Yeah, and it was that bad of a beating that he had Taylor Luan sending out a FIFA apology over Twitter post-game. <laughs> I, yeah, I did see that, actually. Oh, man. Yeah. And then I think I saw Chris... I was, not Chris. I saw Chandler Jones afterwards tweeting, and he said, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that? That's... Yeah, yeah. It's true, though. I mean, in case you didn't see it, it was uh, Taylor Luan basically putting a, a a message out saying, you know, 
oh well you know i'm that wasn't good enough um he made me look like a fool i need to up my game if i'm ever going to do anything and yeah (laughs) wow i mean as well isaiah simmons was superb in the heart of the defense you know he was literally everywhere yeah you have to agree with that he definitely he definitely did deserve some votes in there as well you know getting five tackles on derrick henry uh nine overall um and he also let the highest two reel in the single interception thrown by Ryan Tannehill. As much as Buda Baker tried to steal off him by like knocking him out. It was slightly chaotic, but he, he got it, you know. Um and the, these are the kind of things that you these are the kind of things that we really wanted to see from Isaiah Simmons, right? Is like being able to play defensively all over the field, you know, being just a wild card man that's out on the field and Nobody knows exactly what's he going to do. I haven't actually seen a breakdown yet of like the positions which he played during the game, but I'm sure he was literally used all over the place. Yeah, if you remind me afterwards, I'll have a look up at that. But um, yeah, I, I I definitely remember seeing him in you know in the backfield. He was like right up on the line a couple of times, um, and he was also dropping way back into the uh, the defensive backfield as well. Yeah, I mean, he seemed to be very active throughout the entire game and always around the ball. And he ended up playing yeah. all but three snaps in the whole game. I assume they were probably three snaps right at the end before, you know, grab a Gatorade and go. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I think especially when you've got a guy in the second year, you know, there can still be really good um, teaching moments in the middle of that as well, where you can sort of say, all right, I see I see you doing something that's not quite right or you're not quite getting this scheme right or whatever. And you can bring him off, show him on the iPad thing, you know, what, what that is and get him back in there. So, you know, it's, it's unsurprising for a guy like that to not be in every single snap, but obviously it's quite encouraging given his um, injury from last year, the fact that he was out there for the full game. Maybe the most surprising thing in this game was the secondary you know, they came into the game with so many questions over their ability to cover AJ Brown and Julio Jones. Yeah, I, I think um, you know, when when you don't hear much about the secondary, you know they've done their job. But um yeah, Byron Murphy, Robert Alford and Marco Wilson all uh holding the those guys to just seven catches uh for seventy eight yards and a touchdown, which is um, you know, it's really impressive for against again, you know, it's it's not like the guy throwing them the ball has no experience. It's Ryan Tannehill, right? Yeah, I mean he's not a terrible quarterback, but no, I mean he's not. He's not an like totally elite quarterback. I don't think anyone would argue that. But and and you know AJ Brown and Julio Jones are both excellent wideouts as well. You know the the fact that they were able to do that job, I think that's a a, a good solid day's work for them. I think you do have to bring up the pass rush and wonder like how much their effectiveness allowed them to do their job a lot easier. I mean, you can't have one without the other, right? You could have the best cornerbacks in the game covering, you know, rubbish wide receivers, but if you've got no pass rush and you just allow a quarterback, you know, loads and loads of time, they're going to get passes in there, right? Yeah, exactly. You're going to need the... Obviously, you need to get pressure on the quarterback and then... Like, as you say, the, even the best cornerbacks have bad games, don't they? Exactly, yeah. I mean, I think, um, as you said, the, the pass rush overall did an excellent excellent job. And, you know, that's why Chandler Jones was out there with, uh, you know, with five sacks and everything. But J.J. Watt even um, 
definitely out having a, an excellent outing and he looked to me like he was having a lot of fun on the field. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned before about his Wired episode, you know, you can see him having fun on the football field, you know. And then after the game, he was there saying, like, it was, what's the word? I should actually know because I changed the British bird gang thingy on Twitter. Not surprised, expected. That's the one. Yes, that is the one. You know, he was just going around telling everyone that, you know, that they had these expectations that this was going to happen and they made sure it did. Which I think, you know, it's one of the reasons, I guess, that um, JJ Watt joined the Cardinals, right? As he, he saw them as an organization with the potential to have games like this. And he's out there, you know, helping make that happen. And to me, you know, it's, it's hard to put down things down to a single guy. And I don't think it is that case, but the whole defensive unit looked like they were enjoying themselves. And I think to me that JJ Watt was part of that. Yeah. I mean, obviously the leadership qualities he brings with it, you know, that was one of the main reasons people seemed to think he wanted to bring him in. And obviously after one week, it seems to be paying dividends. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, it's all well and good to say that in a game that was a blowout win, but let's not forget that you know the the reason it was blowout specifically as part of the win is the fact that the, the defense was in there doing a great job. Let's see how they do up against like maybe a bit more adversity and a game maybe where the offense isn't scoring as well. But hopefully um, that's something that's not going to be coming up that often this season. I was going to say who we never actually see in a game where the offense doesn't score points. Yeah, because you know obviously we seem to have the capability to do so. Well, I think that's the thing in a way. Like, the Cardinals have now proven that they have the ability to do this whole, uh, whole thing well, and and now the expectations there. I think as well the defensive line deserves some mentions as well because Michael Dogby, he, I think he had a sack on Tannehill. Um, yeah, and jo- uh, Allen, pretty good too. Yeah, I don't think he had any tackles though, but he seemed to do his job well. You know, like closing up the holes, what so Derek Henry could be brought down in the backfield or for no game whatsoever. I was going to say, I think a lot of the time on the defensive line, you might not be expected to be making sacks and you might not be expected to do that. You just need to be there to take up space almost, you know, and and that's probably a big part of the reason why um, Henry was kept to such a a, a low yardage. And I think especially when you are in the position of being a defensive lineman, you, you need to be strong even if you're not making that as a tackle. You need to be not seen as a uh, as a pushover who's gonna you know just get out of the way if Derek Henry runs at you. And of course, you have to mention the fact that Corey Peters was robbed of a touchdown. Oh yeah, what a shame! What a real shame! He he really looked like he'd um, he he was enjoying that celebration as well. I think everyone loved that celebration, like JJ Watt especially as well. But you know, wasn't to be stupid VAR. Everyone loves a, a big rumbling touchdown. Except when it's not one. I, I mean, on the plus side, the touchdown that we got in its stead was a uh, was a nice one. Did we get one then? I, well, I was I was thinking more of the the first D hop touchdown. Yeah, as like the one to open the scoring. But as I say, we could actually spend this whole re- episode raving about this game, but we've got more things to cover on this episode. Even though I don't really want to talk about fantasy football this week, we're going to move on to that now, just to get it out of the way. Yep, indeed. The uh, British Bird Gang is back for season nine. And uh, 
I believe that both of us started it off uh, poorly. Yeah, you know, it was a miserable start to Bird Gang Ball 9 for Saving Private Kime, losing 174.26 to 117.42 against you, Plonker Rodney Hudson. You know, so much for the British Bird Gang Breakdown curse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it looked all good from the Dallas perspective on Thursday Night Football. Had decent scores from Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb, but then Mike Evans did nothing and Ronald Jones fumbled the ball. Now, other than that, no one really performed. Whereas my opponent had Christian McCaffrey, Jalen Hurts, DeAndre Swift, and others scoring decent points. You know, hopefully it's not a sign of things to come this year. Yeah. Meanwhile, my uh, my outing wasn't much better. I lost uh, 178.72 to 136.68 against Stevens turn down for what? And I just was never in that game. I don't think I was ever even kind of close to having a, a, a sniff of the lead, um, helped by the fact that he had uh, Dak Prescott in uh, initially who scored well in fantasy despite the uh, the outcome of that game for them. Uh, he had Christian McCaffrey, had Amari Cooper, um, he had uh, Chris Godwin, just, you know, a lot of guys in a lot of high-scoring games, and meanwhile, I didn't get much of anything out of it. I mean, it was more disappointment as well for me in the Dynasty League as well, because I lost, you know, my team exceeded their projections by some distance, racking up 193.12 points, but the Arizona Cardinals exceeded theirs even more and finished with a final score of 228.66. You know, considering the projections had us winning 171.92 to 163.09, you know, we have to consider this an upset, don't we? In in similar upset news, I've also got a loss, uh, this time against Jono's Cards Against Humanity. Um, This game much, much closer. I lost 206.58 to 203.36. So just, you know, put in a brilliant performance, had a great game and uh, was just literally pipped at the post uh, by the uh, by the Rams in the end. I think it was Cooper Cup that got me. I mean, it doesn't help as well the fact that of these two games, like my game and your game, they were the four highest scores in the entire league this week and yet I was, and we both lost. Yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a shame. But on the plus side, at least I know my team can actually score some good points. That's that's worth knowing. Yeah, I mean, like, going up against pretty much anyone else, I might have won with 193 points, but not to be. And I think I would have won against anyone except uh, John and uh, Darren, but there you go. But, you know, we're moving on to week two, which means we play each other for the first time. Yep, indeed. Uh, we've got ourselves a, a nice matchup, and I, for some reason, we always end up playing each other really early in the season. But you know, there you go. We've got a uh, an interesting predict, uh, interesting um, projection that I'm going to win. But as we know, projections mean absolutely nothing. So uh, I guess I'll see you on the court. Yep, and in the international bird gang bowl, I was able to get some kind of revenge on Darren by beating his team 143.96 to 126.38. You know, I've got another member of the Brits this week, though, as Mark is my opponent. Although he also he lost in week one, so, you know, maybe he needs the win to, like, maybe be our representative in the playoffs. 
Yeah, we've got so it's uh, the Brits versus the Germans versus the Aussies, and I'm interested to see how that all starts to play out. Yeah, I don't play any Aussies until I think it's week three or four. So you know, I've got to wait for them to complain about me on the on their podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Hello out to the uh, Aussie listeners if you're there. And I guess that moves us on to our final section of the week, which is the uh, the Peckhams. We need to go through the kind of um, overall state of the league before we talk about our own game uh, versus the Vikings. If only I didn't think that picking the Jets and Jaguars was a smart thing to do. But, you know, it was a good week finishing 10-6 and six to start off the season for me. I'll take that. Yeah, that's not, not bad at all. How did you do in yours? I have no idea because there's no um, automated system for me to do it. So I need to check it against the old uh, the old document. Shocking. I mean, I'll take this win by default then for this week. All right. Well, you t- you take the you take the win by default, and we'll see if we can count it up for uh, for next week. Yeah, I mean, I made a good start in my against the spread picks this year, where all but four games covered. If only I had money on them. Sadly, I didn't. And also, I have to say, I hate the San Francisco 49ers because I had them at minus 8.5 and they won by eight points after letting up. Well, I think at one point they were like winning 31 17 or something like that. And then they just like allowed people to score on them. They were up by double digits going into the final quarter and they ruined my bet. Bastards. <laughs> oh, what a shame. This is the dangers of gambling, children. Yeah, America's finding that out now, though. Now that it's legal in Arizona and all these places. They are. I imagine that's going to be a, a strange old place at the moment. Should we move on to our picks for this week, then? Maybe fly through them as best as we can. Seems NFL UK don't seem to be wanting to put their NFL pick and game up again this year. So, so strange. I mean, like, if you're in the UK and you've managed to get into this somehow, let us know. But as far as either of us can tell, the website appears to still be down um, and ready to start for week one, which is now in the history books. So, Well, the first game up this week is Washington against New York Giants. I mean, I think I'm going to have to go for the, the football team here. Yeah, I've gone with them as well, even with the injury to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I still think we've got enough to beat New York Giants, who I still don't men be much of a fan of. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to the Giants, you really need to have a, a really strong reason to pick for them, and um, they've not shown me any strong reason yet. Cincinnati against Chicago's next up? Uh, Cincy for me. I'm also siding with them because, obviously, Chicago seems to be dead set on keeping Andy Dalton in employment for some reason. Despite all the booze. Yeah, despite being terrible. I think, like, I saw a breakdown of their game and he, all of his passes seemed to be, like, no further than 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. It was like... I mean, that's that's partially playbook design, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not all his fault, but, you know... You've got a rookie like Justin Fields on the bench, you know, just put him out there. I, I think especially when you're getting a drop in like that, you know, it's like, just get him out there. It's like, the you're, you're not going anywhere this season. Let's uh, let's rebuild a little bit. What about Houston versus Cleveland? I, I've got Cleveland down for this one. I think um, Houston's a, a tricky old place to be right now. And honestly, I think all the off the field drama is probably affecting them, you know, even more. Uh, than than they're laying on. Even though you did put up forty points on their Jaguars this week, 
they did, but that's 40 points on the Jaguars. That's, that's true, yeah. You know, We've got them next week, so you know, hopefully we can do the same there. But that's for next week's episode. I mean, the interesting one in this game is the fact that the spread is, I'm sure it's like 12. So like Cleveland minus 12. So it's like... That's pretty spicy, yeah. I think I'm taking Houston plus 12 in that one, though. Yeah, I think I think plus twelve is a is a good shout for that. The next game we've got is the Rams against the Colts. Rams, I think, is going to be the pick for me here. I think the Colts are definitely on an upward curve, but the Rams just look uh, scary. Yeah, I mean, like Matt Stafford came in, looked really good in his debut for them. I mean, it did help the fact that he was playing against the Chicago secondary, who didn't seem to want to cover the guys. That's true. I mean, it, it's hard to uh, make a pick or or to to you know get a really good idea from that, but um, definitely his he looked comfortable. I think that's something you can say. Buffalo against Miami is a tough one to choose from. It is, yeah. I think I'm going with Buffalo based on kind of like momentum from from last season because I think that um, you know as well as Miami did, Buffalo was doing better last season and. On top of that, I've watched some of their preseason games um, just because it was stuff that happened to be on at the time, and um, I, it reminded me of how how stacked that Buffalo team actually is. Yeah, I mean, it didn't look too great against Pittsburgh this past weekend, though. Yeah, that's true, actually. Um, and Pittsburgh didn't look that great either. But I don't know. I think um, I think I'm going to stick with Buffalo. Yeah, I'm sticking with Buffalo in that one. What about New England against New York Jets? I think I'm going to continue my streak of not picking a New York team. Yeah, I mean, I I learned that lesson last week. You know, I'm not getting burnt again. I'm taking the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, this is a tough one because the Patriots definitely don't look amazing either. Um, I'll tell you something, that doesn't look like a fun game to watch. I mean, Mac Jones didn't do a bad job in his debut. That's true, yeah. And they do seem to have a decent running game behind him, so... They're not obviously not like the level they were when Tom Brady was there. But... No, they're they're not. I guess I guess they're always going to be suffering by comparison. Yeah, it's true. It's hard to really like, unless you're the Cardinals and get rid of Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, it's hard to hard to step out from underneath that shadow, isn't it? San Francisco versus Philadelphia is an interesting one. Yeah, it really is. Um, I am going with San Francisco purely because at the moment I'm seeing a very very strong. Uh, NFC uh, West and uh, I have actually a, a sneaking suspicion or, or a worry that we could get a really good record and it might mean he, like absolutely nothing because um, because the rest of the division is doing, doing so well. Yeah, I mean like obviously San Francisco lost two players to injury this week you know, but you do seem to have a pretty decent depth there especially at the running back position so I don't think that'll make any difference. And Philadelphia looked good in their first game this week, but I am going to go with San Francisco as well, even though it would help us in the division if they do lose a few games. I just can't see them losing to Philadelphia. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I, I could see this one going either way, but I'm still going to pick San Francisco as, as a winner there. The Raiders against the Steelers? I'm going with the Raiders here, um, purely because I think that Ben Roethlisberger looked fairly poor in the Pittsburgh game, and I, I don't know. I feel that that whole situation might start to implode sooner rather than later. 
Yeah. And I mean, the Raiders did actually win on Monday Night Football this past week. They did indeed. After overtime. So, I mean, I would be interested in taking the Raiders, but I've got to take the Steelers in this one. Just because I've got Steelers on my fantasy team and it'd help me if they won. Or if Najee Harris turned it up this week. Where are you going for in the New Orleans-Carolina game? Obviously, New Orleans didn't have to do too much this past week to beat Green Bay. And it's the same way with Carolina when Sam Donald went to New York again and basically destroyed them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, to me, I think I'm taking New Orleans here because I think that at least the New Orleans offense was up against the Green Bay defense who was trying whereas the Carolina team was up against uh, Jets on both sides of the ball. I'm being different on this one. I'm taking the Carolina Panthers. Okay. I, I, I do think this one can go either way, and I think um, neither team has really shown its hand or been able to show its hand yet. What about Denver versus Jacksonville? At the moment, until Jacksonville proves me otherwise, I'm not going to be picking them for a game. Um, Denver, I think, are on a little bit of a, a quiet... Uh, March here. They, they kind of look like they might actually have a chance. Yeah, I mean, the Denver Broncos do have a decent defense to fall back on if the offense doesn't turn up. And arguably, last time they won the Super Bowl, you could say that they marched there on the back of a good defense as well. And of course, there's rumors online as well about Jacksonville. Their head coach could be tempted to take the USC job. Oh, yeah, that opened up after uh, the the second week loss. But... Yeah, which, you know, makes no sense whatsoever, but, you know. Anyway, that's this is not a college football podcast, so let's get on to uh, Atlanta versus Tampa Bay. I mean, we could, but we didn't get to see my pick. But my pick was obviously Denver. Right, okay. You're, you're not going for Jacksonville. Not this week. I learned my lesson. <laughs> yeah, so Atlanta versus Tampa Bay. Tom Brady against the Falcons again. Maybe we can have another twenty-eight three. Who knows? Oh man, what a, what a time that would be! Um, I, you, you got to pick the Tampa the Buccaneers here, right? I mean, what a, what an opening week they had. Yeah, and what a terrible opening week the Falcons had. Can we t- can we just take a moment while we're here to talk about that Thursday night game? What a, what a way to open the season. I mean, yeah, it was one hell of a game. Just some yeah, like some spectacle, honestly. I mean, and and. I feel like, you know, sometimes when you get high-scoring games like that, you can sort of say, like, oh, well, you know, it's just a poor defense or whatever. But I think it was just great defenses and great offenses as well. Yeah, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys have got plenty of offensive weapons to use. And same it can be said for the Buccaneers, you know. I am siding with Tampa Bay in this one, though, just because of how bad Atlanta looked last week. Yeah, I think that's that's a reasonable choice. And speaking of the other game in Thursday Night Football, well, the other team, you know, you've got the Dallas Cowboys against the LA Chargers. I have to kind of go, I mean, to me, I would love the Chargers to do really well in this game because I've got loads of them in fantasy, but I do think that Dallas is going to be the one to win it. Um, And then the uh, Chargers hopefully are going to score loads of garbage time points. Yeah, I'm starting with Dallas in this one as well. You know, hopefully they can pick up where he left off and have a better result. Or, you know, if they just want to let Dak Prescott air the ball out, you know, like 40, 50 times, I, I won't complain for my fantasy team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, In the Tennessee versus Seattle game, who are you going to take? In this one, I think I'm going to take Seattle. 
I think that's a good choice. I mean, Seattle had a had a good first week as well, and Tennessee, by the numbers, had a really horrible first week. But I'm going to pick them because I playing against them reminded me of of how good a team the Titans this year should be, um, and I think that they will be raring to bounce back. I mean, I can see that maybe happening, but you know, the Seattle defense showed up this week. I think the hit. Uh, I can't remember who they played, but like they just terrorized the the event, the quarterback. I'm sure I read like they had 16 hits on him or something. Oh, that's miserable. <laughs> that's a that's a tough game. I I almost almost feel bad for um, Ryan Tannehill if he went into to Seattle and and you know got hit a whole bunch more times as well because. It's not like he didn't get hit his fair share in the Cardinals game. I was going to say Chandler James is already done that enough for him. You know, he might want to retire after a tough couple of games. Um, the last two games, first one there is uh, Kansas City versus Baltimore. I mean, it's hard to pick against Kansas City, especially in the month of September. And I think as well with um, with Baltimore uh, racking up the injuries, as it were, they're um, fastly and quickly running out of options for for game plans really so Kansas City choice for me too and the final game of the week is Detroit against Green Bay pick for Detroit is conditional on Aaron Rodgers still having a job I mean I can't see that not happening like I can't see them yeah, changing it's not, that it's not it's, it's not gonna happen but I I did see somewhere somebody having a conspiracy theory that Rodgers came back purely to uh to sabotage their season and uh, in, in my head that's canonical just now so uh, I'm sure that I I think it, realistically Green Bay have the upper hand here significantly, but they really need to actually show up as a team. And if they don't, then I think even Detroit can beat them. Yeah, I'm taking Green Bay on this one, even though who knows what Green Bay is going to turn up this week. You know, maybe they'll bounce back. Yeah, I I think it's far more likely that they're going to bounce back. To be honest, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take Detroit for now because it, honestly, I would like to see it as well. Okay, and that brings us on to our game preview of the one game we didn't pick, but we obviously know who we're going to pick to win that one anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Week two uh, versus the Minnesota Vikings. It's the home opener for the Cardinals with a 9.05pm kickoff here in the UK. Yeah, which means we can enjoy NFL Red Zone. Absolutely. We get our 6pm Red Zone slot, and then we get out to our... Uh, um game at nine which is it for me my favorite way of having it yeah i mean you can't really complain about it being that way around so i was quite surprised actually because we haven't played the vikings since 2018 and it, it felt much more recent than that to me yeah i mean i think it's obviously with 2020 being such a weird year you know everything seems so far away doesn't it that's probably true yeah because i was thinking that as well because it was like yeah I was looking last time out, 2018, Vikings won 27-17. Yeah, they did. Um, I, I honestly can't even remember that much about that game. That Was was that when they had uh, Adrian Peterson, or was that uh, earlier than that? No, it was Dalvin Cook this, when they were out that time. That's what it was. Adrian Peterson was long gone by then. Probably can't remember where he was back then. I just, I'm just confused by this. Uh, this now, it's, it's it's weirding me out that it was that long ago. But yeah, Minnesota lead the series seventeen eleven all uh, all time, including five of the last seven games. So 
really a, a streak to turn around. Yeah, most definitely. But like we have had two decent wins against them, but definitely need to get the third one this week, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um and especially with uh I mean, realistically, should we just get into it, the kind of headline of the game, I guess? The one which I've titled the P Who Near. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The guy who wore the number 21 jersey uh, out here in Arizona is coming back after just talking so much trash over the summer. Yeah. Well, actually, specifically not talking trash. I think that's the thing. It was like very conspicuous in the in their absence a lot of the time, the Arizona stuff, and then also kind of calling them that team that I used to play for and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and forgetting who their offensive weapons are when asked who he's going to enjoy most going up against. Or maybe he just doesn't want to enjoy getting beat by DeAndre Hopkins, which is fair enough, I suppose. I actually saw you um, listing on Twitter, you'd, you'd done a poll to say for people who are going to the game, would they boo Patrick Peterson or not? I'd be interested to hear how the results of that are looking. Yeah. Well, the I did actually time it so it finished just before we started recording or thereabout. Very good, very good. So the it was actually very close. Fifty one percent say they won't boo him, but forty nine percent say they will boo him. Okay, so split pretty much right down the middle then, really. I mean, some people don't think that the, the it's a petty thing to do, but you know, so is some of the stuff he's been coming out with. Yeah, very much so, and you know, I think um. It's it's a shame because one of the things that I I guess like to see in sports is when you've got somebody who comes back to their old club or their old team or whatever after leaving and still manages to get like a really good round of applause. Somebody who has you know done well for the team and all of that. And I I think you know if the if the split had been a bit more relaxed, um, if he had just decided not to go on and and you know absolutely trash the team, then um. Patrick Peterson would be one of those guys who would be welcomed back with, you know, extra applause or a little cheer or something like that. Um, but he really has uh, sealed his fate with that one. I do think that, regardless of what people say, I mean, there there will be booing in the stadium when he's about and cheering when he gets beaten. I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, I think it's pretty tricky as well when you're coming back as a defensive back pretty much the only marquee moment that you could have to rub it in your old team's face would be an interception. Um, whereas, you know, for uh, an offensive player, I suppose they can get like a, a touchdown or they can get a clear win over them in the air or something like that. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, maybe an interception might not even be that big of a deal if he gets one because it could be right near the end of the game and it doesn't make a difference to the outcome. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna be it's gonna be more dependent on on context than anything else at that point, yeah. really. Isn't it? I mean, I could imagine him getting like a pick six, you know, and then like rubbing it in that sort of thing. Hopefully, he doesn't because you know Kyle Murray shouldn't be throwing interceptions to him. Yeah, I hope not. And and I think one of the nice things is that obviously the Cardinals have enough offensive weapons that even if he does manage to cover uh, DeAndre Hopkins that well, um, there's other people to throw to and. I mean, frankly, I think that in a, in a 50-50 ball, you've got to trust D-Hop to come down with it, right? Against Patrick Peterson, like 100% of the time I'm throwing to Hopkins. 
it's one of those things though. Will Peterson be on Hopkins this game, or will he just be on the other side of the field taking like AJ Green or Christian Kirk? Well, that's a, a really good question, and I think one of the things that's interesting about that is that um, if you are the like Vikings coaches, I think that with this one, you just want to keep Patrick Peterson not exactly out of trouble, but like give him a nice, like super easy to complete assignment because he will be distracted by all of this. I mean, this is another one of those games. Like we went into the Tennessee game thinking, you know, they've got some danger men on their offense who will cause some issues for us. The same could be said for the Vikings because they've got a trio of weapons who could, you know, come in and destroy our game plan on the defensive side of the ball. Oh yeah, easily. I mean, uh, obviously we've already mentioned Dalvin Cook, but there's also um, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Yeah, both of them had decent games in their first week loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. I think Thielen had two touchdowns. That's uh, yeah. I mean, I I, I think um, I think that the the loss to the Bengals is a pretty tricky one to gain form from. Um. And obviously, at this time in the in the season, it's kind of it's, it's almost a little bit random in terms of who's on what form, and you can't really tell. But I don't know. To me, um, yeah, the fact that they were still able to pull out performances, and from what I know about those games, I don't think they were you know garbage time touchdowns or anything like that. No, because obviously went to overtime. This game did like so. We lost twenty seven twenty four. I don't know. I mean, I think. Um, Predicting this game is going to be going to be uh, tricky again. But that's what we're going to do now to round off the episode. So we were both, well, spot on with our Arizona win predictions last week. Granted, we neither of us had the like the magnitude of the yeah. win. Yeah. Well, I mean, I went for a four-point win. You went for a seven-point win. We'll call it a tie. And it ended up being a, a twenty-five-point win. <laughs> um. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm going to be predicting a win for this one. I think based on, on the form of coming off of a, a really, really big win uh, versus a you know squeaky overtime loss, let's call it, against um, a team that I would say, would you would you call the Buffalo, uh, would you call the Bengals this year like a marginally worse team than the Titans? Eh, maybe, maybe not. Um, I'd put them in the same bracket at least. So for me, I think... I'm going to have to call it a win, maybe a bit tighter than last week's win. Um, so I'm going to go for a 27-17 win. That's still a 10-point win, though, so that's pretty impressive. Maybe 27-21, actually. I mean, I'm, I'm stuck now because I really want to see us put up like 40 points on someone, and we nearly did manage that against Tennessee. <laughs> but for the missed field goal, I know. I've got a tweet waiting to share once someone, because I saw a tweet someone put out, and I've been keeping it in my bookmarks, you know, just to be petty. <laughs> you could, got it sat there. It um, will get used. Yeah, I I don't think that of all the teams that we're playing this year, this is going to be one of the ones that we'd be, we'd be able to put um, 40 points up on. I mean, I do think the Cardinals are going to win, but, you know, what's new there? We've always thought that. I mean, there are some games where we don't pick the Cardinals because we're realistic. Yeah, it's true, but I do think that if we'd gone by, if we'd been correct with every pick, the Cardinals would have won the last five Super Bowls. But 
Pretty much, yeah, but you know, sadly, that's not how it works. Where, where are you going? Do you reckon we'll get into the 30s again? I'd love to see that. Yeah, I've gone down for a 30 24 win for the Cardinals. Okay, that's that's respectable. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we could actually score more than that, they could score less, you know, we'll take either one. The thing we want to see more though is more JJ Watt and Chandler Jones sacks. Yes, I would love to see that. Um, I mean. Speaking of uh, predictions, and we can finish the episode on this. Last week, I predicted that over the season, Chandler Jones would get seven sacks, and he got five in one game. So I feel like he might have heard me, um, which means that I get to address this next back to uh, Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones, this is my FIFA apology. I'm sorry I was wrong, and you made me look like a fool. Yeah, you took that personally, I think. He did take it personally. Yeah. I'm, oh. I'll tell you what, Tom. Shall we finish up the episode and then uh, we can go and continue talking about that game to our heart's content? Yep. So, as always, if you're not following us on Twitter, go follow us at British Bird Gang. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash British Bird Gang. And join the group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash British Bird Gang. If you like what you listen to on the podcast, then. You know, obviously leave us a review, share it around, tell your friends, you know, leave us a review on the podcast, whatever you think we're worth. And I think that's it for the plugs. I suppose you could buy British Bird Gang merchandise at britishbirdgang.tml.com. And also I've got a bunch of magnets that I've still not sold. So, you know, keep buying one of them or buy one. You know, I've not sold one in a while. I I, I guess as a final plug, um, I'm... Uh, a, a scientist for a living and I, I am doing more and more data science and one of the things that I'm doing to practice that and get better at that is uh, sports data science and I'm looking at all the different sports ones so I'm planning on uh, every week of this season doing some sort of interest in statistical analysis on the uh, on the Cardinals so if you're interested in, in graphs and, and statistics and things like that, then give us me a follow at, uh, at Callum A. Hall on Twitter. That's C-A-L-L-U-M-A-H-A-L-L. I mean, you don't have to go follow my personal one either, so, you know, I'm not going to share that. <laughs> Until next time, thanks for listening, and goodbye. We'll see you next week. Just follow Forking Awesome on Twitter. <laughs> 